1561, Germany, are reports of colors in the sky, signs of alien battle. 1668, an American preacher looked through the telescope and noticed something on the moon. 1187, as Saladin's forces break through the gates of Jerusalem, a few soldiers smuggle out a precious artifact and hide it on a Canadian island. Hi, hello and welcome to Digging Up Ancient Aliens, the podcast where we examine the TV show Ancient Aliens. Do the claims hold water or are there better explanations out there? I am your host, Frederick, and this is episode 8, Close Encounters, part 2. If you missed the first part, you should go back and listen to it. It's a great time where we discuss ancient nuclear war seed banks and medieval art. Remember that sources, resources and reading suggestions are attached to the show notes and you can find them on our website diggingupancientaliens.com. There you can also find contact info if you notice any mistakes or have any suggestions. If you like the podcast I would really appreciate it if you left one of those fancy five-star reviews that I've heard so much about. Enough of me jammering, let's dig down into the show. Welcome back, Eric. Thank How you. How are you? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm great. Uh, thank you for having me here for a second time. So we didn't manage to scare you off? No, no, no. Uh, uh, no I... crying in the shower or... <laughs> uh, maybe just a little bit. What do you feel after the last one? Uh, so it's the same episode, but just the other half of it. Which part were the best so far, you think? Uh, hard to say which one was, was the best one. So, uh, as, as I said in the previous uh, podcast, uh, I, I find the people most uh, amusing uh, who have <laughs> these uh, strong beliefs. Dig back in then. So... We, are, we left off just before we went to Nuremberg. We are going back to 1561 and some celestial phenomenon. Uh, so apparently the 14th of April, people woke up to, um, going to news flyers of the time, a frightening spe- spectacle, strange things in the sky and several objects. And I guess you see the picture I put in our notes here. Yep. How would you describe it? Well, it's a it's a beautiful landscape with a, a sun and a lot of colorful dots all over the sky. Yeah, we see um, crosses, dots, suns, two moons, and something burning in the distance. I'm noticing now, actually. Yeah, I guess it's smoke is coming up there. So what they want you to believe, at least in the episode, that this is... Um, well, UFO battle that took place. Yeah, well, that's quite obvious when you look at the picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or just 
a bunch of dots or somebody who um, ate some bad mushrooms or some bad rye. Instead of dancing play, they got to see nice dots in the sky. To be honest, I've, <laughs> I have no idea what they're trying to depict, but the broadsheet, that times tabloid paper, basically, claims it basically a message from God to repent before doomsday arrive and become good Christians. Yeah, well, well, when you have a, at the first glance, when you look at the picture, um, you're, you're, it looks like what's something you would see at a carnival or something like that, because it's really colorful and uh, a little bit of uh, childish uh, as well. Yeah, but that's quite typical for the time and place, I think. It doesn't look strange in that sense. I guess the coloring is from the show, though I looked at the original and it was black and white. Of course, color printing was not a thing yet. Basically, just printing in general was rather a new thing. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. What's what's, uh, strange, though, is that uh, in the episode, uh, the earlier podcast, we we discussed another picture of the the flying vehicles Mm. uh, and uh, the the people behind the production came from... came to the conclusion that it was the flying vehicles by looking at the picture and seeing the people sitting in crouching positions in the so and the moon and the sun and now now we have a picture with a big face uh, on, on the sun but now it's not a, a living thing anymore it's all the things around it that, that we need to take and attention to it right now yeah i think they just for got that they said that people in the sun or the moon are not the sun and the moon it's spaceships but here is clearly a sun so i guess they can't just tell you something else or i guess they could if they wanted to but i guess even they have a few limits yeah and no they but they're pretty sure they're also talking about a similar depiction in 1566 in basil it wasn't as colorful, so I didn't put it in, but it was basically dots everywhere, just circling around. Yeah. But we discussed a little bit before what it could be, and I guess we uh, had some combination of northern lights and um, shooting star. Yeah. Yeah. Um... It, it could be that. Uh, I mean, it, it could be a lot of different things. But... Uh, if this uh, picture were to be correct, then some of the uh, flying aircrafts that took place in the battle actually crashed uh, on the surface of the of Earth. Uh, yeah, and as I say, they want to depict it as a battle in general, so you would have crashed airships. And I also thought that if they're crashed, I, I assume it would be some sort of uh, remains of it that would be found and as much digging and expansion and bombing basically there's been in Nuremberg we could suppose that at least one thing would have been found by now but yeah but maybe the the Vatican stole it and locked it up (laughs) (laughs) yeah it could be or uh, the Germans found it during the excavation in Nuremberg and that's how they got the V2 rocket. Yeah, well, that's an, an uh, <laughs> interesting thought. 
Well, if you don't have evidence and just do what if, you, everything is basically possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we, after the second battle there in uh, Basel, uh, it's, it's such a shame that no aircrafts were found either. Yeah, either awesome. the space pilots during this time weren't that good at shooting or maybe uh, something happened. Or they were happens. really bad at shooting. <laughs> They were fighting yeah. for hours and they didn't hit anything. Or the winning side went back and just cleaned up everything as you do after battles. Yeah, or, or maybe it's like you know uh, the old, uh, old and old, but the, the TV show uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when she kills a vampire, it uh, turns into ashes. Maybe that ah. is what's happening to these uh, uh, UFOs as well. When, when they crash, they turn into ashes. Yeah, in an earlier episode, they told us as viewers that the aliens were keeping us as an arm length uh, distance, basically, and didn't want any contact or that we should really see them. So maybe some uh, that they just poof disappears if you hit them with their space lasers. Yeah, that sounds very likely. <laughs> or it. Maybe it didn't even happen. Yeah. <laughs> the, maybe that's the conclusion we are going to end up with. It's hard to say. It's uh, 500 years ago. We only have basically the, you know, the um, tabloid paper of the time to go after. Could be anything, nothing. And during this time, uh, I mean, Christianity was huge in Europe. Yeah, and uh, and they are trying to describe something that has to do with God, and and that's probably why they are saying that they saw flying crosses. Mm. Uh, but uh, I mean, okay, if you have a really good imagination, you can turn a cross into an airplane. But yeah, yeah, but at the same time, it would be a bit different they would be able to describe shapes still even if they didn't have jet fighter planes back then <laughs> yeah uh, i think so too and from these we slide into the development of telescopes in 1608 which they actually got right i had to double check that but they want to talk a bit about Cotton Mather, you when they anyway into the whole religion part. Did you know anything about Cotton Mather before this? No, I had never heard of it. Um, I've heard his name come up from time to time, but since we're not Americans, I guess he's not really a part of our everyday and education. But he was quite a character, as I've come to understood. But uh, the episode wants us to focus into a document from. Uh, NASA, where NASA have uh, basically put up all lunar events, basically. That's happened for some time. And they have a note that Cotton Mather saw something on the moon. Yeah, Billy Barnes, uh, as I have uh, have actually learned his name by now, Um <laughs> He, he he obviously thinks it's a UFO, but uh, when in the in the program they show their actual report mm. or what it's supposed to look like, and well, 
it doesn't say UFO, of course, in the report. Uh, I guess Billy Barnes has an explanation for that as well. But uh, I, I mean, seeing uh, shapes of light going uh, out in in space. Uh, well, well, we we can see that every day. Uh, shooting star. Uh, we can see a comet and, and so on. So yeah, and what I he... don't know what what knowledge he has that he knows that it's a UFO. Billy, I think it's because he says so. There's a light in the sky, but they leave out. There's a few others that also reported similar lights, but again, it's hard to really know what the light is. The report is called actually chronological catalog of reported lunar events and as a technical report r-227 and it's available uh, at the nasa website it's basically just a catalog of reported lunar events from the 1600s and forward and temperature yeah. changes even <laughs> from 1540 to 1967 so if you're interested in temperature changes and sightings of the moon, it's a decent report, I guess. But they want this to become a UFO because uh, Cotton Mather did not attribute it to God. So Cotton Mather, if you don't know, he's a preacher from the 1600s. He is most famous, maybe, or I would assume at least that it's one of his more <laughs> uh, claim to fame. He was part of the Salem witch trials, for example. And he also wrote, what should we call it? It's basically a paper on spectral evidence and witchcraft. But All right. at the same time, we have to remember it's the 1600s. So you could combine the whole spectral evidence witchers exist with the Newton type scientist. So you had two shares. There is a man of his time is the educated preacher and reading Newton and elected into the Royal Society of London for writing a quite accurate uh, publication called Coriosa Americana, where it uh, suggests that plants reproduce sexually, which further on led to Carl von Linné uh, and his classifications. So Cotton Mathers are both scientists and a preacher and a bit of, you know, man of his time type of character. So if you know that, it wouldn't become that unreasonable that he saw something in a telescope and just said oh that's a star or it's a light or there's something other than god because well natural science was something he did in his spare time basically well if he believed in witchcraft and then i guess he he wasn't sure about if the light were something of a good or a bad thing as well yeah so maybe that's why he didn't say that much about it no and also the show don't really say anything more than the little snippet uh, like one sentence basically describing it and as far as i could find at least for now mather didn't spend that much time on it either so either he thought he knew what it was and it was nothing special to him or maybe it was something evil and he wanted to push it down but at the same time i think he would made a big fuss of it if he thought it was evil or something out of worldly yeah but at the same time uh, during these times uh, if you saw evil you were evil as well and so 
maybe try to protect himself also by not saying too much. But but uh, uh, this is just speculation. I I I don't know. Again, it's hard to say since they don't bring up it anymore. But I think they want to use this also to again talk a bit about the plurality of worlds theory that apparently was quite popular in the 1700s and i assume it was there's a lot of ideas that were (laughs) popular from time to time but they leave out that for example they bring up william herschel and thomas Paine. i think we will talk a bit more about thomas Paine later on but herschel for example he was astronomer but he also believed that the moon looked like the english countryside and of course if you have an english countryside you would have somebody inhabited said countryside which in a way is quite logic if you have another planet it's probably have life and it looks like here in a way but with the telescopes they had (laughs) during that time um i guess this was more speculative (laughs) than (laughs) something else well, it's a good. It's a, it, that theory is as good as uh, Wallace Gromit, who thought that the moon were made out of cheese. <laughs> I like that episode, <laughs> <laughs> but it was made of cheese, and that they were correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I I do not have the knowledge uh, about how much you could zoom uh, uh, with these instruments back in these days, but I assume that well. well I guess you could see colors at least on the moon and, and shapes, uh, a little bit of shapes at least. But I, uh, I'm wondering how we ca- came up with the idea that it is supposed to look like the English countryside. As I said... Um... I mean, it, it's not green in any way, but maybe the English countryside wasn't that green <laughs> back in these days. Well, they've always been famous for the rain, so I assume the greenish have been there for some time. But I guess it stems from from the whole that everything is as it should be created. So if we have it, it should be on the other side. And if you look at the moon with bad equipment, I can see that you know the circles and things could look like lakes and if you have lakes you have water and it's basically why we think that there's channels on march it was basically the italian astronomers who thought he could see lines uh, that looked like dugged channels but with the telescopes we have today we see nothing of it because it was just bad quality or the quality of the, of the time basically same with the face of Mars, the back, it was a smooth hill, but due to the low resolution pictures that we could take back then, people saw a face on Mars. Yeah, was it like 20 years ago, uh, people saw a face on the moon as well uh, because of the sh- uh, shadows being cast from the sun? I'm not familiar with it, at least. I think I read something about it, but yeah. But anyways, the... These these people are saying that their religious believers, the priests, uh, thought uh, there were life on every planet, didn't they? Yeah, every planet from, um, well, or the known planets at least. So Mars, uh, Venus, Jupiter. And it would fit in with the worldview. As I said, if there's other worlds they should be used since everything has a function in nature part of what you believe during that era and 
they believed stranger things. So the North Pole by this time was still unexplored. Nobody has crossed it or anything. And people on university level, professors, lecturers, uh, had courses where they talked that the North Pole would be home of giants or even the Garden of Eden were supposed to be there. Must have been cold. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, we have always had our uh, strangest, uh, strangest thoughts about the unknown. As we talked about in the last podcast, the the adventurers that went out of Europe to discover the rest of the world, all of them uh, encountered aliens by some odd reason. Mm. And so everywhere where we haven't been before, there is something really special about it. Uh, either it's Garden of Eden, uh, it's uh, Atlantis, or whatever you can come up with, or it's just simply aliens. From, well, the plurality of worlds, we uh, again talk about strange sightings and we jump to 13, or sorry, 1731. And again, we have Billy Barnes talking. He He's usually the one who have the strangers idea but here he talk about Kilkenny Ireland and there was a sighting of of a luminous object uh, that appeared of a red cloud and apparently people all across Europe would have um, seen this and reported especially in Romania which he digs down to for some reason and all across to Asia basically and I did have some troubles to find where he got that. I searched Kilkenny 1731, Romania 1731, different things. And I only found reference to the episode. So I just started to think that Billy had made it all up since that would have been one conclusion to why nobody else were talking about it except this episode. It wouldn't be beneath them, I think. But I managed to stumble upon something that was quite similar, uh, but in Sheffield, 1737. And there the author, who is one Thomas Short, describing a meteor he saw flying over Sheffield, England. And he makes a note in his journal that it was five o'clock in the afternoon and the meteorite was seen in Venice and Kilkenny. And he also makes a little description about the red clouds and such. This writing was published in 1749. The whole of 1737 was the most irregular year of any in my time. Not one month but had what weather of all the season in it and that not by gradual transitions but of sudden jerks summer was dry august was as cold as winter september full of great changes hence that sudden and general cathar in october succeeded in the latter end of the month and all of november by a fatal diarrhea among the poor december 5th at five o'clock in the afternoon and all the evening appeared a remarkable brightness in the sky of a blood red color very bright and 
attended with many curious appearances. This meteor was in its Venice at the same time and over Kilkenny in Ireland. It appeared like a great ball of fire which burst with an explosion that shook a great part of the island and set the whole hemisphere on fire which burned most furiously till all the sulfurous matter was spent. This meteor put an end to the remains of both the Cathar and the watery diarrhea and restored general health till the next epidemic Cathar among infants in February in 1738, two months after. So I don't know if you remember, but Billy Barnes talked about how people in Europe during this time had no connection with each other. They couldn't talk with each other, yeah. so we wouldn't have reports from of the same thing or it could cross-contaminate. But we have to remember it was 1749 and this author brings up Venice and Kilkenny on his own. So it uh, could be cross-contamination, but again, we he makes another note of it much later where he describes it in details that the clouds open up and rays of sun passing by and they also talk a longer uh, but it was part of this much much later that i could find something i did stumble upon on when i was asking for help to find this passage on um on the skeptoid chat room <laughs> uh, was that apparently there was a six-year eruption of the volcanoes on lanzarote on mallorca so how familiar are you with the year without a summer, Eric? The year without yeah. a summer? Uh, well, that's <laughs> a sentence I had uh, never heard before, unfortunately. Yeah, so back in 1861, we, or back in actually 1815, there was the world's largest volcan eruption on Mount uh, Tambora in Asia and so much ash and things got tossed up in the atmosphere that it blocked out sunlight to a certain point and actually lowered the earth temperatures the next coming year. So you had basically a year with snow in the summer due to this. Wow, that's really cool. I had no idea about that. One side effect from this except starvation and hunger and <laughs> suffering, was that um, the sunset was so extremely red. So you can actually see it in pictures painted after uh, 1815 for about three years. That If you look at the sunset from this era, they are uh, painted with extremely lot of red bright colors before switching back to the normal uh, type of sunset which a bit more yellow but again I find it a bit fascinating that we have this report of the red clouds all across Europe and a six year long volcanic eruption uh, basically non-stop on Lanzarote so I'm feeling could be similar but yeah well it's not unlikely uh, I do not have any knowledge about this and uh, but no, I... I'm not a I remember. <laughs> Volcanist. Yeah, I, I know what the volcanic eruptions do uh, with the atmosphere. Um, it must have been one hell of a earthquake or, sorry, a volcanic eruption. Yeah, yeah, I think but you could hear it. if it lasted it. for six years, 
Yeah, on Lanzarote. I didn't know it. Uh, it was news to me, but apparently it's so um, little research that volcanic specialists write papers on that they don't look into it enough. Well, that, that's quite fascinating. I, I never heard of anything like it before. No, and the um, 1815 eruption is, it had a volcanic explosivity index on uh, seven and the scale goes only to seven. All right. Oh no, eight. Okay. So uh, this is a huge thing, obviously. Yeah. Then. Uh, the plume must have been over 20 kilometers high and there's not many of them recorded. 1815 is the latest. There was one in 1215, but I do like how they named them. So you have a zero, mm-hmm. that's effusive. You have a one, that's gentle. Two, explosive. Three, catastrophic. Four, cataclysmic. And then we go to skip six, colossal. Seven, super colossal. Eight, mega colossal. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like about you're going to order coffee or <laughs> something. I want a, a mega colossal. Yeah, I go to Starbucks and get one of those mega colossal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, if this was the fact, and it, it and then the volcanic eruption would, uh, of course, have a huge impact. And then I would understand that uh, seeing the the meteor at this time would uh, turn the sky red mm. uh, or the clouds red at least. Yeah, there's. I'm not sure if the it's the correct solution or, but it's one explanation that's more towards Occam's ratio, a bit more likelier than a cigar-shaped UFO, as Bill Barnes wanted to get it through. And from this, we move to John Winthorpe. They don't mention which one, because when I Google, I noticed it was a quite popular name. It was several of them, but I managed to figure out we're talking about John Winthorpe, the elder, who described light in his journals that was published. You can go and read it. I did. Uh, What did he name it? Hmm. I managed to have lost his journal in the notes. Anyhow, uh, his journal... Oh, wait. The... uh, uh, Oh, I I know what you're talking about. The... um, Okay, I have forgotten it as well. But it's uh, some... Some years uh, describing in uh, not Maryland but Massachusetts. Uh, oh, I can't say that state. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. No, neither oh. could I. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it goes when Swedes wants to speak Massachusetts. Uh, we should have been Irish. Maybe would have been easier. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I'm not of the trying to in a... say that word again. <laughs> Massachusetts. Yeah, but there was a volume describing that st- state's uh, years between, what, what was it, five or ten years or something like that. Uh, and in this uh, volume, uh, it, it's mentioned uh, about this event. Yeah, um, it's, um, I will add it to the notes later, but. I'm just chiming in here. The book we forgot the name of is History of New England from 1630 to 1649, Volume 1. And the passage that we're referring to can be found on page 290. 
He describing things that took place. The show says that this took place in 9th of March or something like that. I uh, seems to have forgot to write that date, but they give you an exact date, at least in 1638. After a lot of searching in his journal in 1638, I could not find it because it was in 1639. No mention of March. He just write that somebody of a good character saw something, a strange light running up and down the flood banks, basically. Looked like a flying pit, and a certain pitman seems it's strange that these good, uh, sober characters would report um, pig that's flying. But in the text, you can see that the wording says it's running. Well, the accounts at least say it was night. The light in the journals is described to be 2.7 meters or three yards in width. So it's a very small UFO, or basically it's a bit longer than me, but still 2.7 meters are quite small to be a UFO close by, I would say, because it was on the flood banks. And the author who transcribed the diary to publish it even makes a little note beneath it, saying it was probably uh, Ignis Fatus or Will-O-Wisp. And again, it's one of those things it's hard to say some 300 years, 400 years later, what a sober farmer said in the middle of the night on a river in Massachusetts, USA. Yeah, and the story goes on also that they were rowing ah. the boat and uh, after seeing the the mysterious mm. flying pig, they were back to the spot where they began rowing. Yeah, and... Uh, Again, the, and this. the one who wrote the journal again had a theory about that, uh, that the wind had blown them back, probably. So I guess he familiar with the area. Uh, so it's basically how you operated on the Nile back in the days. You sail one way and go with the uh, streams the other. Could have been, or they didn't row anywhere and just wanted to explain why they were late home to their wife. <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to say that people used to lie? Uh, no, no, everybody's always told the truth and nothing but the truth, especially the sober, good oh. character. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, it w- must have been. Uh, uh, let's presume that these people were not that sober. Uh, just think about it seeing a flying pig what a sight but it wasn't uh, flying at the, least not in the journal that's uh, what the show adds yeah a okay yes sorry glows it, it, yeah okay okay yeah billy barnes uh, is hoping for a no this was um, him pitman but this was not billy barnes oh it's pitman okay sorry yeah he, okay, sorry. he's the one that tried to look uh, yeah. official when he talks all oh, right i i think uh, uh yeah I, I googled some of these people actually to understand who they were <laughs> yeah you can find some uh but uh yeah interesting things that way i, I mean it's it's a quite amazing that you look up the facts that they are pre- present presenting in in the, the mm. this tv show 
And like for every single fact you find, no, no, this year is wrong. No, no, that year date is wrong. No, no, he didn't say that. She didn't say that. That didn't happen. I mean, it's so obvious that they are making up their own story. And to be completely frank, they mm. are lying and they know that they are lying. How 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 do they be how can they be allowed to continue doing that? Because people buy in their books and somebody gives them more episodes on a television network. But yeah, that's why you said that some of them might believe you. Yeah, some do, but as you more and more look into it, they will start to for example take this journal we have been talking about so everybody that i found referenced this to 1639 in march always none of them goes to the original source they just repeat what other characters in the same genre or what they know already believe in this say so they don't go to the source material and double check it they just say oh Van Däniken said it so I take his word for it because he believes the same thing I believe and then they repeat it with all the mistakes the previous ones already done and then they add something more and the the pig was flying and (laughs) Uh, it's such a bad uh, research Uh, I mean if you are trying to understand mm. something or trying to find something you you always check the facts you go back to the source that's like science uh, 101 or what do you say yeah why they why i do know that they don't check the sources because they repeat the same mistakes if somebody would double check oh they don't say anything about march then another author would skip it but they all do come with the same mistakes. Therefore, they relying on one source and they just repeat whatever that one said and then add what they wanted to have on top of it. Well, considering that I have been researching a bit uh, myself for a couple of years, I, I mean, if I read something in a journal or in a book or something mm. published, uh, then what I do is that I always go back to the source material to to to, to see what they have found. I, I cannot rely on someone else's interpretation. I, I must always go back yeah, to the source. Yeah, you want to find it as far oh, as you okay, can yeah. go back, basically, and see, did they understand it correctly or... Do we have a better understanding on the material today? Maybe a translation or digital digitalization make that we can read more of the ancient texts that we couldn't before. Could be a lot of things that might be missing. But just relying yeah. on what, yeah, Eric Palmian wrote this. So I will just repeat it like a parrot. That's not really <laughs> good research. No, I mean, that's something a student would do with uh, presenting his or her thesis to finish Mm. their uh, education at the university. But if you go beyond that to become a real real researcher or a doctor in uh, any kind of field, you you must always go back to the source. Yeah, Yeah, you can't just take... So yeah, this is this is just plain bad research yeah, that's all over it. How you 
are able to get this. But that's what I meant last episode, that many of them are maybe not that serious in their belief. They might not even believe in UFO. It's just a meal ticket that they can use, abuse or whatever to yeah, uh, earn some money on it. Because there's good money in it for them. Both in books, speaking fees, um, documentary gigs. Yeah, and we have... uh, They also want to describe this incident at the first UFO abduction. abduction, But they don't really dig into it. So we can just fast forward because it probably wasn't. (laughs) And then they talk about Thomas Paine. Did you know anything about that? character before yeah i i, I know about uh, thomas Paine. Uh, he was a, a head figure mm-hmm. in the american revolution yeah there's a lot of things written about him but they 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 say a lot of things about him that i never knew uh, of before and so <laughs> i i actually did a little <laughs> bit of research on my own <laughs> and yeah i, I I couldn't get their story uh, to be correct from the information, at least that I found mm. uh, on the on the internet. But uh, I may, maybe you found something that uh, no, I, I missed. Um, I didn't know. I was familiar with Thomas Paine by name because, as you said, he has been part of the American Revolution, and I think I've heard him in regards with the French Revolution, which he obviously was a part of. I also discovered, but in the show. Um, Thomas Paine is painted as someone who was what did they say they he was they kicked out of the USA basically. Yeah, yeah, they're saying that hmm. he was exiled, but they, they are saying that it's not known <laughs> that he was exiled. I don't know exactly what word they are using, but uh, uh, unofficially, I think they're yeah. saying unofficially exiled yeah, to I Europe. Find anything yeah. to collaborate so again if the vatican isn't the place where these documents are <laughs> kept <laughs> or maybe in the deep walls of fort knox or i don't know where you americans hide your secret text uh, but well he went back to london basically to you know spew on to the revolutionary spirit and went and joined the french revolution in 1709 but he got in trouble in London due to his revolutionary acts. Uh, the show wants you to believe that he got in trouble because he said that there's life on other planets and the religious leaders didn't like that part. But he basically got in trouble for slander and was arrested in France for being uh, a British citizen. So he was mistaken for British, which he technically was since... America until quite recently was British. But yeah, he was taken in as a spy, basically, or on suspicion of being a spy or collaboration with the British. And then James Monroe was the one who got him out. They give another one in the show. Do you remember who they said? No, I don't remember the no, name. No, they said something, some other of the American, uh, if it was... But yeah, Payne did argue against religion in his writing, but it was not what he really got in trouble for, what I could find at least. And well, if you look into the founding father, most of them were probably also not 
strong believers in religion, but uh, that would be a different discussion. But here, but did you find anything else? No, but uh, I do actually believe that most of the founding fathers were uh, b- believing in uh, the the Christian religion. Um, well, m- most people were uh, in these days, at least. Uh, uh, but T- Thomas Paine had uh, uh, some. Uh, he he didn't like what uh, the Hmm. What the UK were doing to the United or to America, so uh, and he was a revolutionary man. He was a, a man of the people. So uh, you could almost almost describe him today uh, as some kind of an, an early communist. But but the, I mean that that hmm. is the reason why he went to France. I mean to start up that revolution. Uh, um, so there are theories uh, about him that he was arrested and put into jail because he was a, a UFO fanatic or something like that. Uh, I, I don't know where these uh, ideas are yeah, coming again, from. Again, probably somebody's poor research somewhere. I didn't really understand how they wanted to fit Thomas Paine more than he was part of the founding fathers and a known figure, but... Yeah, he did believe probably in the many worlds theory that I could find and or plurality of worlds that is also known that we took up some time ago, but they lost the thread on and trying to pick up with pain, I assume. Yeah. Yeah, but other than that, I'm not sure why he's in here because nothing in his writing would say that he was a UFO fanatic in that way more than most other scientists that believe that there were gardens on the moon and things like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I don't know either. But I mean, Thomas Paine was a man, he, mm. he, he believed in science. He, he believed that uh, in, in the people and uh, uh, I, I mean, he, he, he was something of an early communist slash uh, market liberal. Uh, so a mixture of a little, of a little <laughs> bit of everything, <laughs> but but what I haven't been been able to find was that he was uh, getting himself into trouble for his beliefs in uh, no. ancient aliens. Nothing about that. And if he did believe in the many world theories, no. I'm not saying that he didn't. It's a good chance that he did. But if it was, it wasn't something that he brought up much in his writings at least and certainly not that got him arrested and yeah jefferson franklin adams uh, more them maybe um, who i would count into the part of the non-religious part of the founding fathers but other than that i'm not sure it's not much to say there uh, just that well again we find more things that he got uh, right, and he was exiled to Europe in 1793, they said in the show. But he was arrested in France 1793. So, again, something with the dates seems to yeah. elude them. Let's leave the um, 1700 and many words theory and, or, you know, white dusty wigs, and um, go back in time to Chaco Canyon. 
Yeah, th- th- this was uh, uh, very interesting, actually. Uh, I did look it up uh, on the internet. I didn't know anything about it uh, before I watched no, this uh, show. Uh, yeah, really cool just place. The pictures that they got was, again, decent or good documentaries, the same as uh, uh, we saw in the last episode there in the beginning. But I didn't yeah. know, or I don't know that uh, uh, Daro was the name. But um, as Swedes, I don't think we really learn much about the pre-Columbian history of the Americas. Sure, we might talk a bit about the Mayans, the Aztecs, the Inca, maybe. But the northern parts, I don't think we really... Except for popular culture, we're scarcely uh, hear anything about it. I actually did. No, I believe that's true. The Native Americans, uh, were, we, we do not learn anything about them at all. No, actually, they are left out. I'm going into this. I didn't know much about them, about the Native American culture, prehistory, Americas in general, except for the Mayan, the uh, Mesoamerica, South America, early civilization. So I did start a course on the Native American. A quite fascinating uh, trip. The histories of the Americas is going back further. And we want, at least from me growing up and what I've seen on television, tend to think the Native Americans as a nomad people in general. Right? If you would hear Native Americans, you would picture teepees and things at least i would do not that they're building these bigger stone cities to be honest no but we must also take into consideration that this is in new mexico so uh, it's not far away from mexico so they the native americans when when we think about them yeah this uh, uh, we perhaps think more about the people who lived in uh, in the central parts of America and the northern parts of yeah, America. Yeah, but you have some uh, cities actually popping up somewhere 3,500 years ago um, around Poverty Point, uh, basically North America's first uh, city, uh, some 4,000, 5,000. Yeah, and I also read a bit about the Native Americans mm. in uh, anthropology uh, courses I took at the university, and they had... Uh, all over America, these uh, places where they met. Uh, either they met for finding a partner, or it was for trade, or it was for uh, religious beliefs, and so on. So there were se- mm. several places where, where central points, uh, positions where they met. But Chaco Canyon, they speak about as if it's um, you know one place, at least for what I could gather from the show but it was news to me that Chaco Canyon is not one town it's actually 14 different um, great houses with basically uh, how would you describe it Um, bigger um, uh, community houses basically not skyscrapers but Yeah, apartment buildings. Yeah, apartment buildings or something Um, like that. Start around 700 um, with the 
wide chunk of the construction in the 1800s. And something that I encountered while reading about it, that I was a bit surprised that they didn't bring up in the episode, is that they left the site in 1150. No, and I did some research about mm. this, and they thought yeah, it was the valley is quite dry, and the river uh, running through it is quite small even then. And the site, or the yeah, the site basically is an enigma for archaeologists, even due to the lack of resources. They bring that up in the show too. Why would they build here? But <laughs> Yeah, there's a lack of reason. And the build is big buildings, but the population from graves, I think they, in one of the bigger uh, great houses, found something like 64 graves in total, which is quite, it's a small number for being a quite large town, or at least from what they uh, built up. And I think it was in Pueblo Bonito they found the um, graves. And as you said, there's even signs of trade with Mesoamerica. So you have birch, chocolate, and even pottery from the the Mayan country. Yeah. So uh, that, that's, there's nothing strange really about this place at all. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's a it's a natural uh, place to uh, mm. to trade or meet people. Uh, they they were places like these were scattered all over yeah, America. Yeah. From what I got, some. People do find it strange that they choose that one when there would be better places around, but it can be many reasons for them to to uh, selecting it. It could have been a good place where they could do astronomy. It seems to be a place where they actually did astronomy or they didn't have much other options. Other lands were taking, couldn't stake a claim on other places and like that or well they liked it <laughs> it's a beautiful place <laughs> yeah but we, we must remember that this isn't uh, uh or most likely this isn't a place where mm. people lived uh, all the time of the year they they went here for for a brief time yeah, it could be and then they left so they probably went here uh, when 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 the weather was right yeah it so could on. be an explanation to why they have this quite big or big great houses that would house a great a quite large population but the science doesn't show a big population uh, could be that it was just a temporary site we have seen it in other places before and it's quite fascinating that the site in general as i've come to understand it uh, as i said i've taken one course now halfway through on uh, pre-Columbian North America but uh, it seems as this area wasn't thought to be a place where they did astronomy until 1977 actually where they found they talk about it in the episode um, on the cliff of Fayada Butte Butte I think they call it in English not as it's spelled at least Fayada Butte and they talk about these sun daggers in a petroglyph and it's a cliff in Chaco Canyon exactly where you enter it actually it's stationed and this sun dagger or petroglyph was uh, discovered by Anna Sofair and Jay Crotty during 
uh, inventory of this area and they then went on to start the solstice project that basically trying to save because the Shoko Canyon built roads between the different settlements and even roads that might have been for religious reasons they are very straight even if it's there's hills or natural uh, hinders in the way but these roads are getting destroyed by developments in the area so the project is trying to you know save as much as possible and inform people about the area uh, so it's a good uh, good spirited project but anywho they did notice this solstice uh, today you can't visit the rock at all. You can't go near it because due to um, the amount of visitors, the central stone in this shifted some six centimeters. And of course you can't get the sun daggers any longer due to this. It wasn't somebody who tried to destroy it as a Russian in the Parthenon. or <laughs> But the foot traffic make the dearth shift and yeah destroy the site so now you can't go near it but the solstice project built a exact replica actually and put it in the museum i don't remember which one uh, but i don't think new mexico have that many bigger natural science museums if you're interested uh, but so you can relive uh, they have lights and things so you can reimagine it but you have three uh, daggers one on the summer solstice one on the equinox and one on the winter solstice basically what they leave out which i found more interesting is the um, lunar cycle that the same stone measured and the lunar cycles takes about 18.6 years to complete so they must have spent a lot of time there uh, it's not something you would notice easily uh, since the loon cycle is almost 20 years you would really need to dedicate some time to study it and measure it out on the rock yeah i, I think this is a really fascinating place i have always said if i would ever go to north america i, I would probably skip hmm. usa and go directly to canada uh, but uh, this is actually yeah, something i, I would like to see uh, <laughs> i wouldn't mind going to shaco i can skip new york and all of those places and just head for the desolated yeah that there is the, the historical museum in new york is something out of the out of this plate though so i think i would actually want to see that but then yeah go on the route uh, what is it 66 yeah route 66 is is one of the legendary american roads i think yeah and uh, well isn't that the road in yakushak on the road too or it's just (laughs) (laughs) it might be i'm not sure about that and anyways, it's a really cool place, and it shows that these people had a lot of knowledge about the sun and the moon and so on. And if if you take that into consideration, then all the structures and so on that we see from this time, why would they be unlikely to be man-made when we have so much knowledge about these things? I mean, 
if you are committed, yeah, then did you will. Do you learn. remember the little circles that you saw when they showed you replicas of the site? Yeah, there was this uh, circular structures. No, <laughs> but at least no. So you basically you had where they lived in the back, <laughs> uh, looking out on the plaza and on the plaza. If you would have looked down at, you would have seen a few circular. Um, buildings these buildings were actually their religious buildings and they were position positions of doors and uh, windows letting sunlight in different times of the year hitting different structures within it so it's clearly a religious area and they did have a lot of knowledge about the movement of the sky at least you don't you don't need to know that much about um astronomy to figure out where the sun and the moon will end up you just need time and patience basically which they obviously had if they had a somebody to support jay who were sitting up all night <laughs> looking at the stars measuring out with uh, rocks and string basically yeah yeah i, I mean uh, the 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 native uh, Americans mm. in South America did the same and, thing. So yeah, in Egypt too. And on the subject of um, Egypt, let's go further. They bring up the Orion Zone. Have you read that book in any course? <laughs> no. Uh... All I know about Orion uh, is unfortunately yeah. the, the the three stars in the sky. Yeah, you know where we're Orion's going belt. at least with <laughs> with that. Uh, but I look up the author as the show present as an astronomy archaeologist, and apparently he don't have any um, education within archaeology, astronomy, but. Um, he has an English Lit degree on master level. And on his LinkedIn, he he himself described himself an, as an independent researcher. So it seems as the show gave him this astronomy archaeologist uh, title by themselves. Sure, astro- yeah, I, I love the titles that they give uh, people in the show. What is it? Uh, ancient uh, astronomy yeah. researcher or something like that. I mean, well, people have fantastic titles in the show. Or um, astronomy uh, archaeology is a field emerging since the late 50s. You have, for example, Edwin Barnhart, quite famous um, archaeologist that done a lot of uh, astronomy archaeology in the uh, on the Mayans at least that I'm now on uh, done a lot of lectures and courses in general on uh, pre-Columbian America but well I guess <laughs> his research and others in the field differs from uh, this uh, <laughs> this <laughs> Gary A. David's research so they switch <laughs> abruptly to Hopi ruins. So you might think, oh, the Shaco Canyon was part of the Hopi tribe. No, uh, probably the Pueblo people 
were uh, occupying the area. The Pueblo people is not the same as the Hopi people. There's Hopi villages further away from the settlements here, but again, I'm not sure why they bring up Hopi. Or we learned that if you take a few Hopi villages, that's of course on a line of three. Uh, Chaco Canyon will be the serious star, of course, where everything points to. Eric. Yeah. I love when they show the map and when they are saying it points to this place and they actually goes up, 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 up until they actually find Chaco Canyon and I'm like, wasn't it pointing at of course it? it? It's like, of I, course. Uh, found another uh, Jason Calvalvito, uh, who is a researcher, uh, but he did some good work with some. He tried to get these maps to fit, but how you turn and twist, you can't really get the map that they show here to fit the messy settlements in the area, <laughs> no matter how you do it. Um, and there's a link to that in the show. And Eric, could you go to the show notes? Um, because we will go to uh, Mesoamerica. Uh, so this, yeah, they I'm on page seven. go from this to Street of the Dead, uh, which is part of the Teotitlan. You might know about that settlement is quite famous for the Mesoamerica. But again, there's the show says three pyramids, but there's actually two pyramids and a temple. So you see they put Orion's belt and it points towards the Cholula pyramid, which is the largest pyramid if you count volume only. And you see how it lines up so nice in the show. I went to Google Maps and tried to plot mm-hmm. it out. So if you scroll down just a little bit, so you see the three yellow dots in the top hand left corners there's the street of the dead and you have Cholula pyramids in the right yeah. corner yeah well <laughs> maybe there was something wrong with their eyes yeah, so they couldn't could look be. straight you know yeah, I, <laughs> it's a bit ridiculous because <laughs> they can't barely in the show get it to fit but <laughs> yeah they're so the pyramids on yeah or pyramids and the temple on Street of the Dead uh, points north-south, which is a quite common direction within the Mesoamerica and part of North America culture too, the north-south alignment. And they wanted to point towards Shulu uh, Pyramid. <laughs> that's way yeah, to the and east. That's... So you would either need to twist it uh, some 25, 40 yeah. degrees, 45 degrees maybe, to get it to barely fit. Yeah. Yeah, I would say 45. I will add pictures on the show notes. And so, well, um, it, it's a it's a it's a good effort, at least, to try to make it point at it. But yeah, but th- this is again what what I said before. They are saying so many lies over and over and over again. There's no, like, stop on it. 
how 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 can they live with themselves knowing that they are spewing out all of these lies? I mean, it's one thing to talk about your own beliefs and how you interpret stuff, but this is like they are they yeah this is like facts and uh, uh, you. Yeah, I, I, okay, I, I have no word. I, I don't understand how we can actually keep on uh, telling these lies. Or are they unaware of that they are telling lies? Haven't they done any research at all? I think some might do research, again, in quotations there. As in, I read these books from Van Daniken, from Bill Barnes, all of them usually rely on what Van Daniken wrote. He was among the pioneers of the field. So if you go back, you will see that they repeat what he's made up. Van Daniken is one of those authors who says, yeah, I found this text. I translated it myself. Uh, I won't tell you which one, but it's part of this Egyptian find somewhere. And there's something like thousands of tablets or something oh i translated the sumerian tablet and you look into the archive he refers to and there's ten thousands of tablets and they don't specify which one of them he did the translation on even though he haven't really proved that he can translate any language except for maybe german and english that he speaks <laughs> but i think most of them either don't double check or they double checking realize that this is bull but i'm making a living on it so i will keep with it or i'm not sure because it's not uh, hard things to look up today i can understand that back in 1970 80 90 you could get away with basically anything telling oh trust me on this because double checking something would be very very difficult for most people if you don't have a decent library available and time and knew where to start looking but today yeah you can go on google maps see yeah this alignment won't really fit <laughs> and this prove the whole theory <laughs> now I, I i i i find it so uh... <laughs> Annoying uh, that they are with the, the constant lies. Uh, because, I mean, as I said on the uh, previous mm. podcast, I find the show amusing. Uh, I, it's an amusement show for me, but maybe it's not uh, <laughs> meant to be that for others, but it, it is at least for me. But, 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 but when they are constantly saying stuff that simply isn't true Mm. i'm starting to get really annoyed yeah and they also have the stomach to say that mainstream archaeology as they like to call you know archaeology (laughs) that we are hiding or trying to keep away from the truth and they also bring up giza of course, yeah. the pyramids in Egypt. How did you think they fared there? Mm. 
I actually don't know that the, the Giza would line up Giza. with uh, not any town, but a very important town, Herculeum. That's a not very important. Sure, it was a religious town, but it's not like Thebes or some of the you know big towns. But yeah, basically, if you you know squint and don't look too straight. You can almost get it to line up, but barely. And again, Herculeum was not a very, very important Egyptian town, to be honest. I mean, if you draw the line yeah, long enough, trying it would to say line that up with Orion's belt is so important in uh, Mayan culture. I've done a number of courses in ancient Maya civilization. I haven't encountered that it would be. Um, neither Egypt and their religion they uh, sure they have Osiris that sort of sound like Orion but the Orion spells isn't very important there either and if you take three points on a map you will have Orion spelt basically how you want to do it I'm pretty sure we can zoom in somewhere on Gotland and find yeah. three uh, stone mounds uh, yeah and get uh, them to line up in a mound. Yeah. row if you just isn't that picky with uh, what we're looking at <laughs> yeah I can actually tell you See, about a couple um, of places <laughs> yeah of course no, I mean, the, you, you can make everything sound like something uh, if you mm. just st- stretch the truth long enough. Uh, but <laughs> these are just poor attempts. Yeah, you know? I feel really like poor, this actually. second half of the episode were very weak, to be honest. Yeah, they then started to talk about Koyanaktsi, which is a Hopi word meaning, or I did look it up and it was quite a rabbit hole to be honest, because apparently there's a non narrative art movie from 1982 with the same name. And it does fit in with when they start to talk about this, but uh, Koyanaktsi, uh, I'm sorry for the pronunciation there, but uh, the show wanted to be the end of times, basically. You have Nancy Redstar talking about the chaotic life uh, and the world would come to an end and they want this Hopi religion to tie back into the uh, to the sun dagger. We talked a bit earlier there at... Uh, Shaco Canyon on Fayada Butte. Uh, that if the dagger moved to one side or another, the world would end. But they don't really know how the dagger would work. Uh, so they make things up instead. And yeah, Koyanats, it doesn't mean end of times, but it le- basically means 
somebody who is morally corrupt, who lives a life out of balance, usually talking about um, a group of people then. It's not me who made this up. I actually went to the Hopi uh, Natives Dictionary and looked the word up because I found that that was the easiest route. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually or are went. Are you trying to say that you went and actually asked the to the people who they're talking about what they think something. about their words? <laughs> oh, yeah, wow, that, that right. sounds like a really strange way of doing science. <laughs> I did not take no. Nancy Redstone for her words on that. <laughs> I don't know. Something told me that she might not be a trustworthy source. Uh, no, but uh, she she sounds trustworthy though when she's speaking in the show. She is calm. Uh, she she looks serious. Uh, and, hmm. uh, she firmly believes in what she is she is saying. So uh, yeah, I can see that. A good character, and people would show. say, "Well, she seems to be a, of a Native American origin, therefore she would know everything about Native Americans, and probably be right whatever she said." And again, maybe not go and like me, uh, take pick up a dictionary and look it up by myself, and. Yeah, Nancy Redstar. She has appeared in several oh, well. episodes now, but she's a hard character to track down. There's not much online about her, to be honest. She seems to be part of the New Age movement, and yeah, I can imagine that she's selling crystal and the dream catchers uh, to her heart's content. But I don't see her as some sort of scholar on. Pueblo people or Hopi people. She's not from the Hopi tribe, at least, that I could find out. Uh, her tribe seems to have some issues too. I am way too bad to figure out what's, what's going on there, so I will drop it there. But let's move on. We have talked about France, we have talked about North America. So, how about talking about Canada? to the last stretch on, of the show. Yes, this uh, famous spot <laughs> that has yeah, now gotten yeah, its own the show, show be on the History Channel. <laughs> no, so we will talk about, yeah. of course, <laughs> Oak Island. I could figure it out as soon as I heard Canada and 1795 and three boys. Oh, Oak Island. <laughs> Something I know, finally. But... <sighs> So located on the western shore, on the east shore of Canada, <laughs> because screw yourself, <laughs> uh, we have a little island becoming quite famous for pirate treasure, mostly. So on this island, they have digged several giant holes. All of them mysteriously have filled up with seawater, because that's not something that would happen if you close to the shoreline on an island in the ocean <laughs> basically <laughs> uh, but we have Peter Feiberg uh, some of you might be familiar with him from episode one he was 
the physicist who claimed that a wooden bird from Saqqara, Egypt, was evidence that ancient Egyptians had glide flying. flying. But here he says that advanced hydraulics must be beneath the islands because how else would a pit on the shoreline fill up with water? <laughs> yeah, I don't understand that that part of the show. Uh, but he he mm. is claiming that it's advanced hydraulics, and okay, that's one way of seeing it. But how how did he come up with that conclusion? I mean, people have been digging holes in the ground for a very <laughs> yeah, long time without being called advanced so hydraulics. There are several parts of this, and especially on Oak Island, so. What the show wants it to be is that it's not a pirate treasure um, that's buried down here, but it's the Ark of the Covenant, of course. We will go to that part a bit later, but the money pit, as it's called, uh, was found, as the show says, in 1795. And the green light that the show brings up I've never heard before and I've never seen in another source while doing research for this. Um, so it seems to be originating here from somewhere. But yeah, three boys were started and they got 30 feet down. So that's something like 15 meters or something like that, which is good for boys to dig with wooden shovels, basically <laughs> metal spades if they was allowed to borrow them. But I think they're also the ones who found the slab that they do mention in the show that they put in the chimney later and then found put it out to see what it actually said a few hundred years later. But yeah, there's a lot of theories about the money pit and the Oak Island mystery. There's a few people that died, but as you said, Eric, People have been digging there for some time and divers have been down beneath there looking into the money pit and they haven't found any signs of hydraulics. But one team reported that they saw a skull and bone, of course, because pirates. (laughs) But other than that, no hydraulics. And we have sent down (laughs) video cameras, divers... You name it. And, well, those mainstream scientists have claimed that, A, it's on the shoreline. Of course, you will get water sooner or later in your pit. Uh, And two, uh, the earth will basically leak it through. But they want it to be, you know, uh, some trap that the pirates made or the Knights Templar, apparently, because it was the Knights Templar who found the Ark of the Covenant on the Temple Mound. Yeah, but uh, I mean, if if anyone have watched uh, the show Gold Rush, uh, where they are, uh, well, digging gold mm. uh, in mostly Alaska, uh, I think it was in the first uh, season they are digging a huge hole in the ground. Mm. It's a, where an ancient uh, waterfall has been. And this hole is situated very close to the creek 
which uh, is flowing by. And by some really odd reason, this hose uh, keeps on filling yeah, up with really water <laughs> when it's super close to the creek. <laughs> and now imagine digging this hole on an island <laughs> in the ocean, and they are amazed that it's filling up with water. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I can't really understand the, the amazement here um but uh, yeah, yeah and probably none there are of interesting them are theories about true, it <laughs> from what i can gather because okay if it's pirates the pirates dig water down something like 90 meters or so now with shovels to bury what some treasure from Billy the Kid or Templars as they want to get it to. So first of all, the Templars did, as the show states, have a home on the Temple Mound in Jerusalem. But that's because they were invited. They got to use basically a part of it as a garrison, uh, allowing that by King Baldwin II, the king of Jerusalem. His father, King Baldwin I, made the Temple Mount to his royal palace, but he didn't like to do things like maintenance, upkeep. So when the Templars got it in 1119 BCE, it was in quite a lot of disrepair, according to visitors to Jerusalem who write it down in their journals. I will link at least one of them in the show notes later on. But basically, the Templars were doing home remodeling for quite some time on the Temple Mound, uh, repairing it. They did not do any excavations, what I can find, at least. And if we follow this thread, so they got access to the Temple Mound, 1119. The show says that they dug for 80 years. Saladin captured Jerusalem in 1187. So if you take 1119 minus 1187, you don't get 80 years, you get 68. But the Templars found, before Saladin come, of course, um, Ark of the Covenant, took it to Scotland, where the Sinclair family took it to Canada that was discovered in the 1500s. Or did they know about Canada before? I did not get it there. And they they say that William Sinclair took the Ark to Nova Scotia. But the Sinclair family liked the name William a lot. So there's like 10 of them from 1100s to a bit later. But none of them was named William after the discovery of the America. So I'm not sure where, when, how, why they would have taken the Ark there. And again, dig down with shovels to a depth that we barely can get to with modern equipment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is an intriguing hole, at least. I, I, I mean. 
it is old. The hole is old. Uh, and that uh, we know about. Uh, and the the mysterious uh, circumstances <laughs> surrounding the hole is <laughs> quite fun, actually. Uh, but they 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 are also claiming that, well, that you, you can't really understand how old the hole is because <laughs> by some odd reason the yeah. radiocarbon dating doesn't work down there because <laughs> a nuclear <laughs> yeah oh yeah you don't know a this a nuclear reactor <laughs> you don't know this but you didn't see episode one where oh my god they... sorry prove without any doubt that Ark of the Covenant was a nuclear reactor to power the mana machine. So you might remember from the Bible, the, the okay. mana from heaven. In the Bible, when they go in the, the desert, what? they get mana from heaven, from God. So this was an no alien idea. machine that they got. That was powered by the Ark of the Covenant that contained uh, nuclear material to make the mana machine work. Yeah, uh, because they, they are saying that they, they are trying to do radiocarbon dating on the pieces of wood they found. And it's mm -hmm. a pre uh, 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 futuristic, Which actually. Which would mean that it it's was really old and futuristic. Not handled properly. So, or it's from after. BP, so not before physics. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can speak uh, quite a long time about radiocarbon dating, and so the uh, listeners can <laughs> understand exactly how it works. But I'm, I'm not going to go into that. But if you have a piece of wood, you can do two kinds of dating. You can do a C14, mm. and you can use something called uh, dendro chronolo chronology, uh, which is more or less counting the the rings on the wood. And um, I mean, if you get the futuristic date, that, I mean that that yeah, then you have screwed up royalty. That, that's not even possible. <laughs> Uh, so, so I guess the, the, that their conclusion that the uh, the nuclear device uh, has uh, messed up the C14. Well, yeah, I, I can mm. understand that. Then. And this is what I spoke about in the last podcast yeah. when I said that <laughs> atomic bombs messes up C14. And they're actually confirming yeah, they're... it in this episode. So that, that's nice of them. <laughs> but, but. I mean, there there are so many crazy theories here, and most likely the uh, the sample that they used for radiocarbon mm. dating, if they have actually done one of those, uh, was contaminated. Uh, yeah, I think so, that yeah. might be the um, be the solution. Um, not handle it properly, and if they're not. It's so easy to, you know, mess up a C14 sample too. You, you doesn't take much for you to ruin it uh, royally. <laughs> um. 
No, no, mm. no. I, I've taken courses uh, when drilling in the sheep bones and stuff to move. Uh, and by using special equipment, uh, wearing a suit and special gloves and so on, you you are so careful. Mm. But it gets mm. contaminated so easily. So I, I guess they the ones who did the radiocarbon dating just picked up a piece of wood uh, yeah, but I've seen spit on it to polish it a, li- a little bit. <laughs> uh, when people find something, uh, yeah. either wood or other, take it up with their bare hand and say, see, we have ra- material for radium carboning. And you say, no, <laughs> not any longer. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It could, still could be used for radiocarbonating, of course, if you remove the surface and use the core. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I made the radiocarbonating ones uh, on the uh, pig teeth from an excavation site, uh, prehistoric, uh, like uh, five thousand years old. Uh, we 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 did three samples, and one of them got uh, contaminated actually. So the age span uh, of mm. the third sample with the other two was like two thousand years. But maybe that <laughs> the really reason for this the was that the there were a nuclear device. I think you device. can take, uh, put that <laughs> on your LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> And from these bad C14 dates, we, I don't know, the show just runs out. They start to bring up inventors such as Einstein, who is not an inventor in that sense. Sure, he uh, had his idea about relativity, but not really invention in that sense. Tesla, sure, Edison, yeah. Then Ford, for some reason. Ford was an engineer, sure. He founded the Ford Motor Company. Yes, inventor. No, he did no invention. He did not invent uh, um, the um, machines to make production faster or anything like that. Uh, it was another, was that Oldsmobile who created that? He just hired the right people. Ford himself mostly wanted to stop the international Jew and create an utopian city in Brazil that, of course, went south very bad. <laughs> Do you know anything about it? No, so... I have never Ford, heard anything he about this. I uh, no idea what you're talking about. For the international Jew. So he made sure... Well, is the the national Jew is that no, like you know, a, a word for some phenomena, yeah. or is it a person? Or he was a raging anti-Semite. Yeah, well, yeah. He even got medals from Hitler. So he was Hitler reference Ford twice in Mein Kampf, and translated a lot of his writings to Germans and things like that. Okay. But he uh, he was afraid of the Jewish people, so he you know bought steel mills and lumber mills and things like that to have all the materials for his car in-house, so to say. 
rubber was the only thing he would need to go outside to get. So he went to Brazil where rubber originates, but they had a lot of pest uh, problems. They stopped uh, developing that area so he could get a decent chunk of land for a rubber plantation, sheep. So he set out to create his utopian American city in Brazil that went really south. First of all, he built houses with metal roof. So in Brazil, you don't want a house with metal roof if you can avoid it for obvious reasons. And the staff was only allowed to eat vegan food not allowed to dance, and a lot of weird stuff. Um, There was a lot of riots there, and after a while it was actually abandoned uh, by the Ford company. But didn't uh, Ford invent some kind of uh, engine parts? No, not really. Not Ford himself. He hired maybe people who invented stuff, but Ford himself was never inventor. He had money and made a few decent um, hiring. So that's quite interesting. Uh, For the rest of the show, it kind of fizzles out. They talk about some phantom airships. Uh, Billy uh, talks a lot here in the last section that uh, aliens have come down to introduce things to us, uh, technology. Always the right technology at the right time, nothing more advanced. It's not like they came with germ theory or something that would have spared us a lot of time and misery. (laughs) But other than that, it just fizzes out. Is there life on other planets? Maybe. Most scientists, I would say, would agree that there's life. But the question is, if it's sentient, on what level is it? Will we see it? Have they been here I think if you were a bit more specific in your question to scientists, they might give you a straighter answer than maybe. Any last things you want to bring up here towards the end? No, it's just really... Uh, I, I mean, I, I might not sound like it, but I, I am actually a bit upset uh, for all the things that they are saying in the show that are claiming to be true uh, which uh, yeah, clearly are not hmm. they, they're, they're, I mean it, it, it's one thing to speak about your own beliefs and speak about your own thoughts but when you're going to present facts uh, to support your beliefs or thoughts I mean you got to get them uh, right Mm. Uh, because uh, I, I mean I, I spoke with someone on an internet forum before uh, entering this show today and he uh, thought that uh, it was impossible for mankind to uh, uh, come up with the solutions how the ancient people constructed all these amazing buildings so long mm. ago. Uh, and maybe he has watched one of these episodes and listening to these so-called facts. Uh, I mean, 
I, I watch the show as uh, amusement, but other people might watch it as uh, uh, learning. Yeah. Well, they are on a channel that claims to be about history and a part of the learning network, I think they call it nowadays. And again, people see things on the television and things that it's been fact-checked. Why would they put false things on the television and especially on a channel that claims to be for education and learning? So therefore it must be uh, be something to this. And something they do in the show is that they don't give you two sides or anything. They just give you one side and leave it at that. So they are very dishonest with how they present it. So there's yeah. not like, oh, we have these who claims that have evidence for alien visitation. And we have these scientists who look over their evidence and talk about it. No, we just speak with those who claim the evidence and leave it at that, basically. From time to time, you can spot a serious scientist that unfortunately might have been tricked into it. It's not on heard of uh, that these ancient alien documentaries brings in people under false pretenses and then cut out what they need for the show to go to together but then again with show like this people will see it and they will there's a chance that they will start to believe it just due to it yeah yeah but i am convinced that people uh, watch it and uh, interpret the things that are said in the show uh, as uh, facts mm. uh, instead of beliefs, uh, which they are in most cases, or they come up with facts that are incorrect. But I mean, the, not everyone is an archaeologist. Not everyone <laughs> is an archaeologist, but uh, not everyone has. Uh, uh, gone through several of grades in school to learn about uh, fact and uh, checking up on uh, on what people write and say. So with that said, uh, uh, a lot of people who, who will watch or have already watched this show are most definitely going to take this show seriously. And they're going to think that they are presenting uh, truthful facts. Uh, But as we have uh, seen here on only this show that we have spoken about here in two podcasts, there are so many uh, things that are wrong, what what they are saying. There are so many so-called facts that are incorrect. And it's that that's really disturbing, at least for me. Yeah, and that's why we, I selected to do this show to, at least maybe look at the other side somewhat. Uh, maybe we can help someone, help somebody <laughs> to see the what they've done in error. But yeah, it's you get a bit sad and annoyed when they say such stupid things from time to time. <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah, because it could have been a good show. But uh, yeah. as I said, it. Oh, sorry. Continue. Yes, yeah, you said a few times that the photo they have and the camera work and all that it's good documentary in that sense they know how to point the camera and get a good picture they know how to do lightning find good angles on sites it's just they fill it with people who basically don't know how to tie their own shoe <laughs> yeah i mean if, if it had been the documentary the the man or woman uh, who you can never see but who is who will be presenting the the people and speak hmm. about the facts and so on they they will say that this is a person who has disbelief and so on and so on but in this show it's instead look at this and look at that Oh, have you seen this? Yeah, and have so, you so known? Yeah. yeah. But so they, they, they are not trying to <laughs> make us question if it's correct or not. They are no. trying to make us believe. Yeah, and that's the uh, aim, I think, too. And have you noticed in the show they like to present titles? So you see, oh, this one is a PhD, and then you might see yeah, where yeah, they might Yeah, that's what I said before with like... Uh, Ancient, uh, oh, yeah. Usually they don't present what their PhD is in because there's several PhD, but that are, you know, surgeons, because, you know, surgeons are really great on ancient history or they're, you know, PhD in poetry, sure, good for you, but I don't see how that applies to this subject. Uh, so they, want you to see, oh, they have all these degrees, but a PhD is basically that you're very, very knowledgeable in a very small, small field, basically. It's not that you have a PhD in archaeology and you know all the words archaeology. No, you got a PhD in ceramics in Butle, Gotland, between 6000 BC to 5000 BC, basically. And if you ask, well, what do you know about this Mayan pyramid? You say it's triangular, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's, that, that's really spot on uh, because it's so true. If you look at someone who has a PhD in something that uh, presented their thesis, their their thesis will uh, discuss something really, really narrow. Mm. Uh, I mean, if if we if we go back uh, 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 hundreds of years, uh, I guess a PhD would could discuss the whole world. Uh, yeah, but in Today's society, if you do a PhD, uh, you're, you're forced to narrow it down into a very tiny subject. Uh, so, yeah, speaking about myself and ceramics, as you said, and, and Stone Age, which I know uh, a bit about, I mean, I, I, I know Stone Age in Northern Europe. Yeah, Within a time span of one thousand years, yeah, I don't know shit about Stone Age in Germany or France or UK and so on. 
No, because uh, it's not where you focus your education and neither did I in that sense. Uh, so when we, but what we have learned is how to, you know, research a proper source. So if we want to, we can go to somebody who knows more than us in a field or subject and say, hey, how how is it really hanging together here here and also understand the literature because scientific papers and things like that can be quite difficult for a layman to understand you have to read a lot of them to really understand and you need to have at least some foundation in the field to really know what's been done earlier and what's logical and how it ties together in some sense that you might yeah have... I, I mean a, a lot of uh, uh, people who are doing research and phd students and so on uh like to write uh, their scientific uh, theses or papers or whatever they are writing and, and using a language uh, to prove to everyone else that they're educated uh, yeah exactly they they are not trying to write for everyone they are trying to write for a small <laughs> group <laughs> of people who are super nerdy in this tiny subject that they are going to be really good at and i think that could be an issue that maybe we should start writing a more <laughs> easily accessible um science yeah well i i guess we are when when, when we are posting papers in the magazines mm. uh, uh but if you have no uh university degree or have no knowledge about how things are being written uh, after high school then you will have uh, trouble uh, understanding what, what what has been written uh, it has nothing to do with your being uh, bad at your, the language that you're trying to decipher it, it's just that you use so many terms and specific words within your field that hardly no one else uses mm. so and um, and you you write the sentences in in a way that yeah well uh, that only some people will understand what you the contents of it so I, I if i tried to become really knowledgeable about brain surgery so i go out today and start to read papers about it i mean I wouldn't understand <laughs> shit. <laughs> really, nothing. No. I know what the brain is, and I know where it is. So. <laughs> but more than that, uh, yeah. It would be uh, be beyond your knowledge level, so to say. Same with if you would go yeah. and start reading about DNA sequencing or things like that, it would probably go over our heads and think somewhere we need to accept that things are a bit difficult to understand even if we wouldn't not like it but also i think archaeology have gotten this 
feeling that anyone can do it because in the past well, it's not been a very scientific field and I think we still have a lot of work to do and I I react even when I see in papers things like amateur archaeologists because that would be a thing you don't have amateur doctors medical doctors or no. oh I'm an amateur surgeon I mean, in my spare time you want to get back yeah. I mean everyone can dig a hole in the ground and pick up what they find but then to to interpret what uh, you have been found mm. uh, is one other thing and uh, I as I said in the previous podcast I, I work as a teacher and uh, at the moment I'm trying to teach uh, my high school uh, students about uh, ethics and moral. And I gave them an assignment and I didn't give them much help. Mm. Uh, I, I wanted them to try to find the answers on, the, on their own. And they failed so miserably. They were completely useless. They don't know how to find information in a good way on the internet. And they, they don't know how to interpret mm. what has been written. So after a while, I, 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 need, I had to help them uh, a lot yeah. for them to even uh, fix the assignment. And that's a, a proof about how hard it is to actually find uh, facts. Because you, 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 can find, you can write something in the Google search bar and press enter. And you will get a lot of uh, hits. And each page will say something new. And uh, maybe sometimes even something completely different what the previous page said. And what are you going to believe then? Well, you don't know if you do not have any knowledge uh, about the subject. Yeah. And so, I mean, research is something really difficult. Uh, and these people who we are seeing in this uh, ancient alien show, <laughs> I mean, they, they feel like worse than my <laughs> own students, actually, because at least my students find something that is correct. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean here or something like that, but yeah, uh, there, there is so much missing here in this show yeah uh, <laughs> that would be a very kind way to put it yeah i'm not going to go into specific <laughs> things <laughs> but there are a lot of things missing <laughs> one or two things <laughs> okay eric i won't hold you up that much longer but could you just tell us in what period would you have light to see an alien visitation. You can choose any time in history. Where I want to see yeah, one. If they would have visited when when and where would they would you have wanted to go? Oh wow, that was an interesting question. Well well first of all I believe in aliens. I, I do believe that there are life uh, in other places than on our own planet. Uh, but I, I must say that I do not believe that uh, there are 
other life uh, intelligent life forms other than humans in our own universe but uh, the space is uh, very big um, so well uh, it would be fun if they landed tomorrow uh, outside my door <laughs> i could say hello and i could uh, g- give them uh, covid-19 <laughs> and see what happens <laughs> yeah uh, would be something you can show them this show you see what they're saying about you mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i i can show them uh, this uh, awesome uh, movie that i always think about when speaking about uh, uh, Orion, uh, the uh, the movie with Will Smith, if you know what I mean. Uh, is it Men in Black you're thinking on? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would show the Men in Black and uh, Orion's belt <laughs> on the cat. <laughs> no, it's a dog. The dog has Orion's belt, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was a long time I saw that movie. <laughs> Ah, it's a great movie. I'm sure they use it as uh, facts uh, in another episode in Ancient Aliens. Might come, might come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was good to have you here, Eric. And let's see if we can get together once more a bit further on. Yeah, thank you for having me here. And uh, hopefully uh, I have given... <laughs> Some kind of uh, light on uh, the the life as uh, <laughs> a, a previous uh, researcher. Yeah. Well, take care. See you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you again, Eric, for coming on to the show. I have a few other guest lines up in the near future. Stay tuned for that. Until then, you can go back through the back catalog and you will find a few gems in there. And make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram if you prefer to not miss any of our updates. Remember to leave a positive review anywhere you can, such as iTunes, Spotify or to your friend in the trench. Remember to visit diggingupancientaliens.com to find some more info about, well, me and podcast in general. You can also find me on most social media and if you have comments, corrections or you just want to write a whole email in all caps, well you can find the email address and other contact info on our website. Until next time, keep shoveling that science. Åh gud, jag ser hur jag själv blir röd i ansiktet för jag skrattar. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. Remember that we have a subscription going on. You can become a patron or other subscriber for as little as 250 per episode. Go to diggingupancientaliens.com slash support. That is, go to diggingupancientaliens.com slash support to read more information and sign up right there. 